Let's open the Bible to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4, I'll begin reading in the very first verse of the chapter. But how wonderful it's been to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm just thankful that He has promised that He will not leave us nor forsake us. And I'm thankful that we're able to gather together under the authority of His Word and glorify God. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin in verse number 1. We'll read all the way down to verse number 16. Ephesians chapter number 4. In verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Father, we're gathered here to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would help us now. Lord, I do ask that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your Spirit. That those who have come here may not hear from me, but Lord, that they would hear from you. And Father, I pray that they would not confuse those two vital things. Dear God, it's your desire that we come together under the authority of your Word. And Lord, now I pray that you would instruct us in that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This evening I would like to preach on the basis of our unity. The basis of our unity. In Ephesians chapter number 4 we have read a number of verses here that have been permanently and perfectly prescribed and inscribed on this page. By the way, 
No torch of man can burn them and remove them. No eraser can descend from above or ascend from the depths of hell and erase what God has placed in his preserved word. And as we come to verse number 13 of chapter number 4, I read this phrase after learning that there should be a perfecting of the saints, a completing work of the Holy Spirit, if you will, done by those that have been gifted by God and given as a gift to the local church. The Bible says in verse 13 that, that there should be a time that we come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about unity. One of my favorite verses about unity is found in the Psalms. Psalm 133, verse 1. It says, behold, that means open your eyes, look. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Nobody wants to come to the family table knowing that someone, a husband or a wife, a child with his mother or siblings against one another, no one wants to come to the dinner table knowing that there are unsettled issues. Don't you hate the awkwardness of that? So thick you could cut it with a knife. It should never be spoken of. It should never be that way within the church of the living God. I believe that it should also not be that way within the household of faith. However, there's a lot of ideas about unity that are being propagated in the world and being propagated from pulpits within Christianity that are not entirely biblical. There's also those that I feel have attempted to be as biblical as possible that have fallen into a ditch on the other side of this issue of unity. And I think what would be extremely helpful for us all is if we clearly understand what the basis or the foundation of our unity is. You know, we should never have unity, for example, for, for unity's sake. Unity is not the goal, but instead it should be the result of the Christian life. Many have made that mistake, so we should have unity for unity's sake. And if there's ever a, a division or if there's ever anyone that's at odds with one another uh, within the church or between churches, they say, oh, that, that should, should never be. But yet I, I read the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter number 10. He says in verse number 34, he says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't want to be funny, but <laughs> that kind of strikes me a little humorous because it seems like there's always been a little something between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. Verse 36, he said, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. 
Verse 10, he says, He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And there is something higher, something greater, even than the unity that we have with one another, even within our own families, and that is our pursuit of God. We are to die to self. Unity should not be the golden calf that we bow down to and sacrifice everything else to. It should be cherished and it should be pursued, but we do not pursue unity for unity's sake. Unity is a result of the gospel, not the goal of our lives. However, there are some on the other side of this. And they would say, we don't want unity for unity's sake. Of course not. They would be on the other side. And they say, we want separation for separation's sake. I mean, their right hand is separated from their left. Their right foot separated from their left foot. They look double-minded. They're not. They're just separated. Right brain and left brain. When the right brain's in charge, it does what it wants. And it doesn't want anything to do with the left brain. And it seems like we have a a problem sometimes of hyper-separation where we're afraid to be around another Christian believer who goes to another church or or we are afraid to recognize the fact, let's just, y'all seem nervous. We're afraid to recognize the fact that we live in Knoxville, Tennessee, a place where there are so many churches that a sinner shouldn't stand a chance. I, I mean, it is a great place to be. We don't have to worry about church planning efforts in this city right now. Now in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years, maybe that day will come. But I am thankful to honestly stand before you and say there are several great Bible preaching, Bible believing, soul winning churches in Knoxville, Tennessee. So stop being nervous about that. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm partial to one at 3521 Old Valley View Drive. But you know, there's a ditch on the other side of this. On one, it's unity for unity's sake. On the other, it's separation for separation's sake. And this is equally as dangerous. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I remember when the disciples come to Jesus in the book of Luke chapter number 9 because there was some other guy that, that was out there that was taking care of the, the business of the Lord and, and was doing a great work and was casting out demons and, and the disciples, the disciple John comes to Jesus and says this, he says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, good job. Shut him down. No, no, he didn't. He, he said, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. Why? 
I love the heart of the Apostle Paul there in the first chapter of Philippians where there's others who on purpose are using their pulpit ministry to try to hurt the Apostle Paul. And if there was ever a time to maybe speak critically of someone's pulpit ministry, here would be it. He's using this not to glorify God, but to attack me. The problem is that we're not the main point of preaching Jesus is. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And he has a great two-word question in Philippians 1.18. It says, What then? What are you supposed to do about this? What are we supposed to do? Here's what he says. He says, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You see that there is a error concerning the doctrines of unity on both sides to where some uh, forsake all doctrine and forsake even religious practice um, guidelines seeking to gather together Christians with Muslims and, and thinking that those two can walk together. Some will go over essential doctrines of the faith and will sacrifice those on the altar of unity. And with that, there is great error. The Bible says, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. But on the other side of this, there are some that are, are so dogmatic. Separation, 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 that you would think that separation has become their identifying mark as a child of God. I believe Christ's likeness is supposed to be our identifying mark. When I see the words of Christ, it's forbid him not. When I see the words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, he says, what then? He says, just rejoice that others are preaching Christ and don't get so tangled up in the weeds. But there must be a guiding line. There must be a basis for our unity. And there should be great effort put forth to guard against division. Look with me. Let's get just intensely biblical about this for just a moment. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter number 4. And I want you to look here in these first three verses as we dive straight in from the high dive into this pool of scriptural unity and, and the doctrine that is given to us here. The Bible says in verse number 1, it says, Therefore, the, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, there's this, this urgency here that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We've been called, we have been called to serve and we've been called to be salt and light in this world as was preaching this morning from John chapter number three. We have a heavenly task and that heavenly task for which we are called to fulfill has a prescribed uh, program that God has given us and we must pursue that that we are walking worthy 
of that vocation. And here are some heart conditions that must be involved. And, and we may dive a little bit deep in, deeper into these here in just a moment. But let's look at them. First in verse number two, it says that if, if we are going to dive into this, knowing that unity is on the other end of this diving board, the Holy Spirit prepares our heart with verse number two. He says, you must approach this with all lowliness and meekness, forbearing one another in love. I love this word, endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can you hear the heart of that language? For that language was not chosen by man. It may have flowed from the ink of Paul's quill, but it was breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. Do we or do we not believe that all scripture, that every word is inspired by God and God could have chosen any word within the Greek language at the time of Paul and any word from the English language to translate that Greek from. But here are the words in black and white on our pages and this idea that we must walk worthy, that there must be lowliness, that there must be meekness, that there must be long-suffering, that there must be this act of forbearing one another in love. And I love this, that we are endeavoring, endeavoring like a, like a precious pursuit that we cannot give up on, like a runner in his last lap whose finish line is still a far way off and he can't quit now, but must pursue that with every ounce of effort that he has. Endeavoring. And what is that endeavor? What is that endeavor? That endeavor is a, it is a humble calling. And when it comes to the thing of unity, I will guarantee you that it will take humility. It takes humility because unity is not uniformity. I hope we all understand the difference of those two things. Forgive me, I'm about to give you a soccer illustration, which I thought was a communist sport when I was a kid. Now I kind of like it. <laughs> but on a soccer field, you'll see all of the players that are out running around. They're all, they've all got the same uniform on, the same team. They have a uniformity in their dress. But there is one player on the soccer team who doesn't dress like everybody else, and that's the goalie. For whatever reason, goalies aren't that smart, I guess. I'm not really sure. They just like having soccer balls kicked at them, so they say, I'll be the goalie. And they usually wear a uniform that looks a little bit different. It's usually vibrant and bright, I, I think, maybe, because they want to be a visual distraction to the other team as they try to, to look into the goal, and they want to appear larger than those scrawny little soccer players normally are. But you see, when the team all gets together after the game, it's real easy to pick out the goalie. And you might say, well, he doesn't belong. And the reason that it appears like it doesn't belong is because they don't all have uniformity. But he does belong because they are in unity. They're all on the same team. They're all striving towards the same purpose. They all identify with the same goal. 
no pun intended, they all have a desire to see the same objective come to pass and they labor towards it. And it takes some humility because God does not call us to uniformity. He calls us to unity. And that in the body of Christ, there are going to be some people that are not exactly uniform to what you are and to what I am. It doesn't mean that they're off on left field. It means that God has gifted them in different ways and he's gifted you. But we must all come together. And in order to do that, it requires some humility. He reminds me of another thing said in Philippians in chapter number two as the apostle Paul writes to those in Philippi, he says, to fulfill ye my joy. Boy, hadn't the apostle Paul experienced division before. I can only imagine what it was like as he receives Christ as a savior and now he's got an entire world that was once his friend that is now his enemy and he's caught between the throes of those whom he wants to serve with but do not trust him and those who he's coming out from. Where could he find a friend? And it's said in Philippians chapter 2 that He writes to those in Philippi, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other, others. And, and he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he begins to paint this beautiful picture of the humility of Christ as an example of our humility as we come together in the unity of Christ's mind. And he says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and was found in fashion as a man. And he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, this call to scriptural unity is a call to humility. It's also a call to patience, by the way. We're here in Ephesians chapter number 4. Look with me in verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness, listen to these next words, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. Now I find that interesting that the Lord had to remind us to forbear one another. It's almost like he knew that we would get on each other's nerves. Now I know I've never gotten on your nerves. I shouldn't lie. Disunity is such an easy thing to happen. Such an easy thing, which is why the Lord must remind us that we must forbear one another. Forbear one another. It reminds us that we must be long-suffering with one another. Because disunity could be planted like a seed with one word of gossip. Disunity can show up in a church or between like-minded churches with one little event that, that someone felt a little bit differently about and all of a sudden we're trying to make each other look bad. And I'm telling you, I have seen it over and over and over and over again and I don't believe the Lord is one bit 
pleased with it. I think that he desires to see that his children, his people walk in unity. And that takes patience. I'll be honest with you, if you knew everything that I did wrong, you probably wouldn't want to hang out with me, and you'd be embarrassed that I was your pastor. And if I knew everything about you, we might just have church discipline right now. Good thing I don't. You see, it's so easy to pick out the errors and and to pick out the shortcomings and pick up the fallacies and pick up the sin. Yes, the sin in everyone's life. Because even though we all be forgiven by the grace of God, does not even the apostle describe his struggle with the flesh to the things that that he knows he shouldn't do. Those are the things that he does. And the things that he does, he knows those are the things that he shouldn't do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And no doubt... There are some people that could have looked into Paul's life and said, no, you ought to not have unity with him. He's in sin. I'm not talking about open, fallacious sin, but what I am talking about is how easy it is in our heart to find some excuse to divide. You see, it takes patience, long-suffering, endurance, So, Pastor Jerry, that's all well and good, but I thought the whole point of this was the basis of our unity. What well, is? But I had to get those things out of the way first. I had to get those things out of the way because those are the things that strike like a serpent. We find ourselves taking part in them with, without even noticing. Criticism flows off our lip towards some other believer or some other church because we just don't like what personalities might be over there. And Lord, help us for that. God, help us. But there are some things that we should be reminded of that are a basis for our unity. And these next three things that I, that I want to give you, and don't, don't worry, I'm looking at the clock to 11 minutes, all right? That's, that's my goal. <laughs> Lake's like, that'll never happen. 11 minutes, that's my goal. But there are some things that I want to show you from this passage that serve as a basis for our unity. Not just our unity here at Valley View Baptist Church, but for our unity in this community of Knoxville. For our unity as we look with honest hearts towards the Lord and and ask for His guidance and direction. And here they are. The first one is this. The first matter of our unity or basis for our unity is, is our dependence. Our dependence. And what I'm speaking of here is the fact that we are unified over this. That our salvation is entirely and completely dependent upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon Him. When I look at verse number 4 of chapter number 4, it reminds us that there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Look at the first two words of verse number 5. There is one Lord. The next two words. There is one faith. The next two words. There is one 
baptism, if I turn and look down to the end of my page at verse number 13, it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Well, what is that faith? And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. We ought to recognize that primarily, first and foremost, the basis of our unity is not our church identity. It is not what family you were born into. It was not what race you are. Red and yellow, black and white don't matter in his sight because he died for us all. And the basis of our unity has to do with our dependence on Christ completely and entirely. Now, with that said, that means that we cannot have unity with others who do not have that dependence. We can still be kind. We can still be loving. We can still reach out. We don't have to be a jerk about it. But in terms of walking together, of being in unity as part of this body, the body of Christ, let it be said that there is a boundary line and those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he died for the sins of the world, that he was buried and that he rose again, I cannot walk in unity with it's my burden to reach them. But I cannot walk in unity with them because the primary basis of our unity is our dependence on Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Ghost wrote through the Apostle Paul to those in Corinth who were so confused about this thing. You had those in, in relationships, believers with unbelievers, and he, and he says, what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Basis number one, is our dependence on Christ alone for salvation. Amen. Basis number two. is not just our dependence, but also our doctrine. I want you to look with me at two places here in this text. First, I want you to notice what we've already read in verse number 13. Till we all come together in the unity of the faith. That is that that faith, that saving faith, which placed all of our dependence on Christ to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and give us an eternal home in heaven. That is our dependence. But look at the very next phrase in verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and here it is, and the knowledge, and the knowledge of the Son of God. What is that knowledge? It's doctrine. Doctrine literally means just teaching. If we go back earlier in this chapter, we find a, a few doctrinal elements here in this passage. Uh, look with me in verse number uh, three. It says that we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of 
peace. And then it describes some doctrinal matters, that there is one body, that there is one spirit, even as you are called in the hope of your calling. Look at this. There is one Lord. That's soteriology. There is one faith. There is one baptism. Look at this. There is one God. That's theology proper and father of all. There is one who is above all and through all and in you all. Here we have a number of doctrinal elements all here in this passage. And we must realize that the basis of our unity, yes, is our dependence on Christ, but it should also be the doctrine of the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people that, that claim, and perhaps even they are, saved by the grace of God. But when it comes to the doctrine that you find in the New Testament, they're a long ways off. There's difference and there's division. And see, this is the thing about doctrine. I've said it so many times that whether we like it or not, doctrine divides. Because doctrine exposes the fact that there is truth and there is error. If there is instruction or teaching, then there must also be a right side of that instruction and a wrong side of that instruction. Why do you think the Word of God says that it must be rightly divided? That's why the Word of God commands us to study, to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, because rightly dividing the Word of truth takes work, it takes study, it takes humility, it takes recognizing the fact that maybe you're wrong. Oh. And when we come to when we come to the doctrine of God's word we must be careful. We must be careful to ensure that we are always unifying ourselves on the doctrines of God's Word. You know, if I want to go to an athletic event and I put on my blue and gold because I'm a Mountaineer fan, I'm not trying to mingle in with all them volunteers. (laughs) Because I've got sound doctrine. That's who I identify with. And even though that may be somewhat of a cheap example, there are great things at stake concerning the doctrine that we find in the Bible. It seems that more and more people seem to be content or have been content over the past number of years not with doctrinal study and understanding, but instead they have been heaping to themselves teachers, having itching ears who are willing to just give encouraging talks and motivational speeches instead of confronting the nature of our flesh with the Word of God, who are willing to go in and preach and teach the fact that there is one God and His Son is named Jesus Christ and there is none else in creating a 
division there between truth and error. And if we do not understand doctrine, then unity becomes very difficult and very much an impossible task altogether. For if we do not understand what the Bible teaches and the lines which it draws between that which is right and that which is wrong, then how on earth are we going to find those boundaries of unity which should be there? Because the fact is, doctrine divides. We should have a basis for our unity. A basis for our unity. The basis for our unity should be our dependence on Jesus Christ for salvation. The basis for our unity should be our doctrine as it is clearly taught in the Bible. And the basis of our unity, lastly, should be this. It should be our direction. Our direction. Now some of you may be thinking, oh, is this, you know, is this the, the time where he goes nuts and starts yelling and preach about it? all that liberalism that's creeping into the church and how they're all going, going in that leftward-leaning direction. No, no, that's, that's going to come later. <laughs> this is what I mean when I say our direction. That we should seek to have unity because we do not just place our, I'm sorry, we don't just place our dependence on Him but we seek to find direction in Him. You know how hard it is to have unity with someone that is only following their own flesh and their own desires? You know how hard it is to, to follow someone in unity when, when you want to die to self and, and when you want to pursue the Lord and, and your feet are beating against the pavement of your life, giving all you can to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then someone comes alongside you or intersects your path and they don't want anything to do with following the direction of the Lord. And instead, they want to be off following their own desires or their, their own flesh. You know, it is it's impossible to have unity with that person. The book of Amos says it this way. It says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And it's not just agreement on who they're depending on and they're not just agreement on what the doctrines are, but it's also agreement on what direction we're going with those things. Because I have run into people time and time again that it is so hard for me to get a, a feeling of unity with our spirits just don't bear witness and they might be saved. They might even claim to believe the same doctrines, but they're not going the same direction. They're not looking for the Lord's direction. They're not, not looking for the Lord to be the, the one guiding their life. Instead, they're following someone else or something else or some crowd or some culture. If you're looking for the basis of our unity... I'd love to say more about all this, but I won't. If we're looking for the basis of our unity, it ought to be founded upon the direction of the Holy Spirit leading your life. It ought to be founded on our dependence on Jesus Christ 
in order to be established by what the Bible teaches. And I don't, I don't know where, where each of, of us may be this evening when it comes to this matter of unity. I imagine that maybe there's some here that desire unity for unity's sake and because of that you would be willing to, to step out across doctrinal distinctive lines and, and create some kind of unity that's not based on what the Bible teaches. Perhaps there's another group of people in here that are on this other side altogether and separation is like a hobby. And you're just looking for more ways to separate, to add to your collection. And I'm saying that that's not what I see in Scripture. I see a desire of God for unity. And maybe it's been bitterness that's caused this desire for separation. Maybe it's because someone hurts you. Maybe it's because of personalities at some other place or some other church. And, and I know that those things can be so temperamental and so difficult at times to overcome. But let me tell you that the Lord is able to overcome those things. But we cannot give ourselves a pass and say, oh, I'm separating when it's not even over the right basis. Let's examine our hearts. Are we part of the solution humbly coming before the Lord and others desiring to serve together under the right doctrines with the right direction and the right dependence? Or do we find ourselves part of the problem? May the Lord help us.